0: Okay, like I said, we're going to be in John chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. Uh, there's also some connect cards there in front of you. I'd love for you to fill those out. You can drop them in the collection baskets. Uh, really, that's the way that we know how to pray for you, how we can be, uh, have the opportunity to serve you. So please fill those out, even regular attenders, even members. Even if you think you don't have something to say, please fill it out. I would love to have you do so. Now, if you would, stand with me in reverence for God's word as we read John chapter 5, Verses 18 through 24. Again, John 5, verses 18 through 24. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat and let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for this chance to look in to see who Jesus truly is, Lord. Lord, help our hearts to... To drink in this truth, Lord, sometimes we are, uh, we are very self-focused and uh, we look to ourselves and we champion our own efforts, Lord, but um, our dependence is upon you and upon your Son and upon your Spirit, Lord. So today as we discuss really sort of a, a heavy topic, uh, the reality of Christ being your Son and, and being uh, one with you, the Father, Um, help us to understand this truth and how it is practical and how the implications that actually get walked out in our life. Lord, be with us as a church. Be with us individually. Um, Lord, give us strength and boldness to confront our own difficulties here, our own selfishness and sin. Lord, we love you and thank you for the gift of your word, the gift of your grace and your spirit that guides us. In Christ's name, amen. So a single question that has perplexed man is the question, who is God? The same question, really from the beginning, who is God? Now Adam and Eve, as the Bible tells us, walked with God. And Moses, according to the Bible and Jewish history, spoke with God. And the prophets throughout what we call the Old Testament proclaimed his word and authority that was revealed by God. But even though we have that, even though we can receive a lot of information and understanding about God and about our relationship to him from those interactions, even though we today are very blessed, we, have, we, are, we are set in a very special time and place because we, again, are uniquely blessed because we have the full revelation of God's word. We have the gift of being able to look back into the scriptures and see what he has done and even read about what he promises that he will do. Even though we have all of that, we actually can't fully know God. We can't fully grasp God. As time moves, we cannot see all the plans and purpose behind what He's doing, truly. We don't know when He's going to do what He's going to do until He, in fact, does it. But Jesus Christ tells us that He can, that Jesus Christ can, which naturally, brings up the question in our own hearts or in our own minds, the question that has continued to exist because of man's arrogance and our pride, who then is Jesus Christ? Who then is Jesus Christ? If if Jesus Christ is this, who then is Jesus Christ? And this is the exact question that these Jewish religious leaders are asking themselves. It's the exact thing that has been brought forward in the minds of these religious Jewish leaders. Who then is Jesus Christ Today in America, a lot of people believe that Jesus Christ, in fact, was a historical figure. It's really not that much of a debate. Jesus Christ, a lot of people believe, was a historical figure. He was a person in history, although they believe that he was basically just a really good person with some really good ideals. If you want to have a good life or if you want to raise your kids in a really moral way, then you teach them what the church teaches. My question is, does your church teach everything that Jesus Christ teaches? That's the question. It has to be the question. Does your church, does the church teach everything that Jesus Christ, in fact, teaches? You see, what Jesus Christ was teaching here in this passage, what he was teaching is exactly what made him the enemy in the eyes of the religious elite so much that they wanted to kill him. It was the exact teaching that made him the enemy in these religious Jewish leaders. So how does that equate to a culture that doesn't want to believe that we need a Savior? Our culture is comfortable with calling Jesus a good moral teacher, right? It's pretty comfortable to say that Jesus was a real man in history and he was a good moral teacher, but if you don't see God as, if you don't see Jesus as God, then he is either a blatant liar or he is simply downright crazy, right? Because of his own words, because of his own teaching, he is either a liar or he is downright crazy, neither of which can give him the consideration of being a good teacher. No one sits under a liar and believes his words if you know that he's a liar, No one sits under someone who isn't right in the head and calls them a good teacher because their teachings, therefore, aren't good. C.S. Lewis, maybe a lot of you know this quote. C.S. Lewis, um, who was a famous author, and he said a while ago, he makes the same claim, he said that we have the option to understand Jesus in only three ways. He is either that liar, he is a lunatic, or he is, in fact, Lord. There's really only three people that we can consider Jesus to be, a liar, a lunatic, or in fact, he is Lord. So then, who is Jesus? He is either someone who is lying about who he is and what he can do, and people believed him and followed him anyway, or he is a lunatic who believed that he was God when he wasn't God, and people still desired to follow him and believe in him anyway, or he is actually Lord or he is actually Lord, and therefore our Savior, which we can see, because we have the full revelation of God, because we can see, because we have the entire account in the scripture that proves to us by his own resurrection that he is in fact Lord. We are blessed to have that. But the religious elite, the Jewish Pharisees that we're reading about, didn't find Jesus to simply be a moral teacher. They didn't think that he was simply just giving the Jewish people some good ways to live their life, and they couldn't see him as the promised Messiah. Therefore, he had to be, at least in their eyes, something other than what he claimed to be. They couldn't see him as the Messiah, so therefore he had to be something other than what he claimed to be. Now, last week... Last week, we read how Jesus heals a man on the day of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, again, was this holy day that was to be set apart for rest and reflection. It was meant to be a day for us to understand that we depend on God and that it's not the other way around. So they confronted Jesus. He heals the man on the Sabbath, and they go forward, and they confront Jesus, essentially say to him, hey, who do you think you are? Why did you do that? Who do you think you are? Like I read last week, we get Jesus' response. Now, in the English, in the English translation, it says that he answered them. But in the original thrust of the language, it more so is determined that he declared it to him. So in verse 17, he declares to them, my father is working until now, and I am working. My father was working until now, and I am working. Now, the Jewish elite understood immediately what Jesus was saying. Again, they didn't expect him or didn't even think of him to be a good moral teacher. This is what he says, verse 18, or this is what happens next, verse 18. This was why the the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. They understood immediately what Jesus was saying. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to heal him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And what's interesting, what's interesting about the rest of this chapter as you take it in as this whole, it's what John is writing. John tells us that the Jewish leaders thought that Jesus was attempting to make himself equal with God. They thought that Jesus was attempting to to put himself on par with God the Father. They thought Jesus was trying to make himself equal with God, when in fact, Jesus essentially sidesteps that word completely, and instead he reveals to them and to us, because we're reading it today, that he and the Father are united. It's not that they're equal, it's that they are united. You see, equality and unity are two different words. Equality and unity are really two different words. Equality is what we want. Equality is what our darkened hearts desire, because equality is motivated by the desire of independence. Equality is a desire for independence. Last week, I referenced the healed man's attitude back to Adam and Eve, talking about how uh, they so quickly blamed somebody else for the wrong that they have done, and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do the same thing because we've heard this temptation for equality before. We've heard this, this, this temptation for equality before. The desire for equality is the same temptation that Satan used against Eve to get her to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the same temptation. Do this, take power over your own life, and then you will be like God. It's the same lie that overpowers most of our world today. Equality, equality leads to independence because you no longer need the other person. If you're equal with them, if you're equal with God, then you would possess within yourself everything that you need. You would possess within yourself all that is necessary. If you're equal, you can stand on your own, again, without the other person. You simply don't need anyone if you have equal power with God. Whereas unity, unity has to do with love and obedience. Unity is only developed and fostered within a relationship. Think of a marriage. You can only have unity if it's developed within the relationship. And Jesus didn't desire equality with the Father. He didn't desire to be equal with the Father. He didn't want the ability to be independent from God. Rather, he glorified in the fact that he and the Father, they are one with one another. He glorified in the fact that he is one with God. The Father, hear what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jesus willingly came to be born in the likeness of men, and in doing so, although he was still God, emptied himself of his position and became utterly dependent upon the Father. Which is, which is, as we're about to see why Jesus was entrusted with the fullness of the Father's power and ability to both give life and to judge the world. He was fully dependent upon the Father and that is why God gave him the ability and power or allowed him, handed over to him the ability to both give life and to judge the world, which according to verse 17 is the power and ability that God has been essentially exercising until now. God the Father has been exercising until now. Look at verse 19 through 23. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and great works and greater works than these we will show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And there's a purpose in this. Verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. How is it that Jesus Christ does what he does? Because God the Father shows it to him. He leads him. Sort of think of a uh, you know a, a father and a son or, or a, a parent to a child, we show them how to live, we show them how to walk out in obedience, we give them the knowledge that we possess, and we sit here and, and, and although we have the words in the Bible, although we have uh, we 've been given the words and the ability through the Holy Spirit to understand all things for life and godliness that 's just second Peter one three. We still cannot fully know God because we are not God. Right? We talked at the beginning of John. This is a letter written by the Apostle John. Remember back to chapter one how God says that Jesus was with God at the beginning. He was the Word, and the Word was with God. Therefore, Jesus is God. He was at creation, He has seen all things. And the truth comes to us through that knowledge of him who saves us. It comes to us through Christ and Christ alone, the one who has given life to us. We receive it from Christ as Christ has received it from the Father. But the Father has shown his Son his perfect will. He has shown the Son his complete will because of his love for his Son. Now that truth there is is heavy. That truth there is really just uh, scratching the surface of the doctrine of the Trinity, really. It's just scratching the surface of the wealth and wonderment of, of, as we try to understand the, the mystery of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When Jesus Christ performs his miracles, when we read in Scripture, when Jesus performs his miracles, when Jesus makes the command to us to follow him and pick up our cross... He's not attempting to, to usurp the authority of God the Father. He is not a, attempting to take on for himself this independence of power. Rather, he is manifesting the glory of God by His actions. Amen. He is honoring God in what He is doing through love and obedience. That is the ingredients for unity. And he is constant. He's constant in this. He is constant in accomplishing this this, this manifesting of God's glory because Jesus and his works are fully obedient to the Father's will. They're perfectly obedient both to God in, in obedience, but also to the Father's purpose and his will, which is why he and they absolutely are effective in communicating to the entire world the Father's love. Right, James tells us. I believe it's James back there. The, the royal law is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Fulfill the royal law to follow in love and obedience after Christ. Jesus then says that. Greater works will happen so that we will marvel. Greater works are going to happen. He's talking about raising people from the dead. In fact, his own resurrection. In fact, giving us new life in eternity is, is partly what he's talking about. Jesus tells us that greater works will be done than we have ever seen so we can marvel after this amazing power and ability and who he is. These greater works are there to authenticate the sonship of Jesus. God gives them the ability to authenticate what Christ is bringing forward, bringing forth the truth in the word for us. But I have to tell you honestly, there's no way that you're able to understand. There's no way for you to make sense of this if you haven't experienced the reality of being brought from death to life. You really can't grasp the truth, the depth the wealth and wonderment of what the Word says if you have not first been brought from death to life. You can understand it in some sense, you can read the text on the page, but in your soul, you really can't experience this marvel unless you've first been brought from death to life. You can experience the type of unity that's on display within the Trinity if you have a restored relationship with God the Father. You can't marvel if you don't have, and you can't experience the unity if you are not brought from death to life. You have to have a restored relationship with God the Father that is centered on love and obedience for and to the Son of God. That's what the gospel is telling us. We must be brought from death to life. We must be given a new heart to understand this truth. The Father has given all power and authority to the Son so that we will honor the Son as we do the Father. This is just the reality of, of how salvation is provided for us. This is just the reality and the understanding, what the, the, the foundation that our conversions stand upon. Again, the Father has given all power and authority because anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This honor that we're meant to give to Jesus, this honor is communicating really this holy type of fear that is awakened within us when we understand that there is a coming judgment. This honor is meant to be this, this reverent fear, this, this, this holy awakening by the knowledge of the coming judgment. There's a foolish and, and really illogical belief out in the world that any and all systems of belief can lead to God or heaven. It's really foolish, and, and ultimately, if you process it, it's, it's really illogical How is it that all roads, how is it that all religions can lead to God if God Himself is telling us that we must depend on Jesus Christ because He is the only one who holds the power of our life? If there's one way, if there is something called truth, by definition, it is singular. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, again, this is Jesus speaking, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed, again, from death to life. This invitation is for you. This invitation is for me. This invitation is for all of those who who feel far from God. Even if you've believed something else prior to walking in here, whoever hears these words, whoever hears the truth about Jesus Christ and believes in his name, believes that he is the Son of God, you will, Jesus says, you will have eternal life. Jesus' words are not potential. He is declaring to us that it is possible, that he wants to provide it, for you. The gospel is not a hope, as in we hope that the Buckeyes win on Saturday. The hope is a dependence, a reality that we know that it is coming. Truth is truth, regardless of our response. And the judgment is coming, regardless of our desire to look away. And heaven is real, can provide you with hope and peace today as well as tomorrow. Amen. These again, Jesus' own words are not potential. He is declaring that it is possible, and his promise is this. This is what Jesus Christ wants us to understand, that you will, that we will not come under judgment for the sin for the the wrath that our sin has purchased for us if we put our faith in him. But instead, you are now brought out of that sinful spiritual state and given new life that will last forever in him, with him. This eternal life that we're talking about, that the gospel is proclaimed, proclaiming this salvation is not only our hope for the future, but we get this gift today. This is a present reality for the believer. Going back to the Trinity, about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, going back there, we see how they are united in this perfect and harmonious relationship to and with one another. And it is, in an incredibly miraculous way, we then We now benefit through faith in Jesus Christ and by His works on the cross, how we are brought into that all-knowing, perfectly loving relationship by God. They exist in this perfect, harmonious relationship, and we, through Christ's work, through faith in Him, we are brought into that relationship. Here's a simple example of how God operates within himself to accomplish that salvation on our behalf. The Father sends the Son into the world for our redemption. The Son then acquires our redemption for us, which then the Holy Spirit applies to us. There is one God in essence, but there are three persons at work, and each role operates within the perfect relationship once again of love and obedience. Love and obedience, unity depends upon relationship. And it's important for us to understand. It's important for us to understand that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are united as one God. Because if we don't, then we'll have a hard time seeing them united in their nature, in the work that has been done or has to be done or what will be done, or even in the coming judgment that is promised to happen. If we don't understand certain elements of the Trinity, then none of this will make sense to us. We will see God and the Scriptures sort of disjointed in what's actually happening. It's important for us to understand that unity amongst the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And practically, it matters for us. Practically, it matters for you and it matters for me as we walk this earth. It matters how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together. It's important for us to answer the question, who then is Jesus in relation to the Father? And thankfully, thankfully, God's Word tells us. We don't have to try and work to figure it out on our own. God's work tells us the answer, and we're helped along the way by the Apostle Paul, which in fact is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. This is just a fuller... This is the full paragraph of what I read earlier. Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one with or one in mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, here comes the truth of how this, or or, or, that's the practical, here's why it matters, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God the thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who then is Jesus Christ? He is God. He's God. And it matters how we walk out this life when we recognize who Christ truly is, because he is God. He is not only our Savior, he is Lord. Not only Savior, He is Lord and He gives us life. That is how you are breathing. He gives us both physical and spiritual life. And since we live because of Him, we are to walk out our lives in love and obedience to His honor and for His glory. That's practically how that relationship, when it's declared to us, how we practically apply it to ourselves We've been created in the outpouring of that care and love for one another, so we walk out our own life in love and obedience. So please don't make the mistake of searching for equality with God. Don't make the mistake of searching for equality with God. You do not exist independently from Him, no one on this earth does. You do not exist independently from Him. This passage makes it clear that you are either reconciled to God the Father, which means that the relationship for you has been restored by Christ. Therefore, you are united to Him as a son or daughter, or you remain independently an enemy of our King. On your own, you remain an enemy of our King. This place, Maranatha, this place Is a place where we can come in humble obedience and we can confess and repent of ourselves. Maranatha is a place where you can come before all of us. You can come before our Lord. Maranatha is a place that we are not afraid to speak of our brokenness. We are not afraid to talk about our own sin, recognizing that it is God's love that repairs our hearts. Together, we are unified as a body. This is how Christ builds his church. He gives us, each of us, individually as a whole, to go into the world, to live our lives, to walk it out, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ through love and obedience to the Son. It is only by God's grace that we are given this life through the Son, this life to the full. It is more than you can ever ask or imagine. Rest in the peace that is given to you by the gospel. Each and every one of us are burdened and are heavy and are going through something. One of my most favorite quotes that I heard on some cheesy radio station, um, he says, be nice to somebody today because everybody's having a tough day. It's so basic and so simple. Just be nice because everybody's having a tough day. I know you're having a tough day. So am I. We have Christ's love And we glorify in his obedience at the cross. Just turn to him. And allow your life to be given and taken up in his arms. If you would pray with me. Father, we love you and thank you. Lord, it's an incredible gift to just try and understand the gospel, Lord. But Lord, you give us mercy. You pour out your abundant grace upon us, Lord, and we don't just work to understand it, but you transform our hearts to accept it. You are so good, but we do have a tough time. We do have tough days. Lord, teach us to rejoice in all things, Lord. Let us rejoice in abundance and rejoice in in poverty, Lord, because you have given us everything that we need. We have all the riches of the inheritance in heaven promised to us. Lord, there is a future hope, but there is a present reality that we can have the wealth of life, that we we no longer have to thirst or no longer need to feed on the things of this world, Lord, because we have you and your spirit guarantees that for us. Thank you, Father, for this church. Let us be a people who walk and are known to love Jesus and follow after him obediently. Say in your son's name we pray, amen.